For the past few weeks, we've been talking about relationships. They play such a key role in our lives. Hi, Jeff. It's good to have you here. Um, any junior, senior high that are here, feel free to slip out now and follow Jeff to the uh, fireplace room. So, uh, we've been talking about relationships and what a, what a key role that they play in every area of our lives. Uh, I mean, really, relationships, we, we can't get away from them. We, just, we, we can't escape them. They're, they're a major part of our lives, and we began talking about relationships. We began with most important relationship at all, and that is a relationship that we have with God. Because if we don't get that right, then we get nothing right. We can spend our lives doing all kinds of wonderful things, but if we miss our relationship with God, if we don't get that right, then we've, we've not gotten anything right. Nothing else matters. That's the main relationship, that one. We talked about that. And then we moved out from there into, you know, kind of picture concentric circles, and we addressed the relationship next with our family. Those in our, in, in our immediate family, those, you know, our, our, our relationship with our parents and our children and our siblings and so forth. Primary relationships that play a major role in forming us and in shaping our lives. We talked about that, our relationship with our family. Then last week, we moved out to the next concentric circle talking about the relationship that we have with community. And by that, we meant our local church community, our church family. These are the people that God has, has given to us for mutual encouragement, um, uh, for, for prayer support, for fellowship. These are people that we, that we in, in, a, in a local church that we do life with, who understand things from a similar perspective, where we're coming from, uh, coming from a, a, a place of shared faith. So we can do life together from a perspective of shared faith. And we talked about, so we talked about a relationship with our local church family. Um, and as we've talked about, you know, each of these circles, we've talked about uh, uh, circles of relationship. We've talked about the need to be intentional about them. Because relationships, I mean, they can be, they can be hard sometimes. Has anybody ever, anybody ever have a hard time in a relationship just raise your hand okay anybody that's not raising their hand you're lying I'm sorry I'm sorry but but you know it's relationships can be hard at times they take work I love this quote that I came across it's by somebody named unknown um, and it says this you can't just give up on someone because the situation is not ideal great relationships are not great because they have no problems. They're great because both people care enough about the other person to find a way to make it work. That describes a great relationship because relationships take work. And that's what we're talking about. It's what we mean when we talk about intentional relationships. Uh, you know, not just talking about, uh, uh, you know, people that we always get along with, but in being intentional in those relationships even when it's difficult. Not just the easy, easy times, but working through the tough times, putting forth the effort in there. Today we're going to talk about our relationship with our neighbors, and by neighbors I'm using that term to mean the world around us. 
anybody that's not included in the other ones, and, and, and including them, I guess, but the world around us, everyone our lives intersect with, whether our physical neighbor in our neighborhood, our, uh, whether those in our workplace, the grocery store where we buy food, the, the um, UPS driver that delivers our Amazon every day, um, you know, uh, uh, the, uh, anybody our lives intersect with, whether they cross our paths frequently or we just have a one-time interaction with them and then we never see them again. <laughs> As believers, we're to be intentional about how we engage those relationships. But whenever I make a statement like that, the next thing that pops into my mind is this, how? How do I do this? How do I, how, how do I be intentional in my relationships with them? So this morning, I want to give three ways that we can intentionally engage our neighbors, whether it's the person next door or whether it's the waiter that's bringing the food to your table at lunch after church, whoever it is. How do we intentionally engage our neighbors? First, intentionally engage your neighbors by always, 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 always being motivated by love. Our motivation has to always be love. It's so simple. It's so basic, and yet it's so necessary. Everything as believers, everything that you and I do, must be motivated by love. After all, if God is love, and our goal is to have Christ formed in us, then what's that say about us? We must always love as God loves. And not just to those who love us, but to everyone. The Bible tells us that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, while we were estranged from him, while we were far away from him, while we never gave him one thought, Christ died for us. He proved his love for us in that. He didn't wait for us to change our behavior and become a quote-unquote good person. He loves us when we're at our worst. And that takes a lot. And he's our model. Our motivation for everything we do must be love. It needs to be the driving, before, driving force behind everything. And it's got to come from the heart can't be just a show. Paul said in Romans 12, not li- 12, 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. It must be sincere. It must come from the heart. It's got to be genuine. And that is independent of how a person acts toward us. That's key that we see that. We don't just love people when they are nice to us or, 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 or love us in return. We love people no matter how they act toward us. We don't have to love what they're doing, but we are called to love the person as God loves them. So when you come across somebody that God doesn't love, then you're excused from loving them. But guess what? You'll never find that person. You will never come across somebody, no matter how terrible they are, no matter how 
badly they mistreat, you will never cross paths with somebody that God doesn't love, so you'll never cross paths with somebody that you have an excuse not to love. Paul says this in Romans 12. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, become over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want you to look at that. It says, is your enemy hungry? If your enemy's hungry, feed him. Take him out to lunch. Take him out for breakfast. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Say, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee and talk. Easy to just read over without thinking, how does this practically apply it to my life? And then it says, in doing this, you will heap burning coals of fire on his head. <laughs> so, so you've got somebody that's, that's just really being nasty to you and really treating you wrong. And, and so you go up to him and you, and, and you try to be nice to him. You say, hey, can I buy you lunch? Can I buy you lunch? And and." You do that, and then you're secretly thinking, <laughs> I'm going to burn coals on his head. I'm going to heap burning coals on his head. I'll show him. I want us to think about that a little bit differently. In ancient times, there was no such thing as a matchbook or lighters. I mean, they had to start fire the wrong way, the hard way. You know, the, I mean, the wrong way. It's, it starts, but I mean, you know, with like, like uh, a, a flint and a stone or, or, you know, rubbing two sticks together or something like that. And, you know, like in the Boy Scouts, you tried to do it and it never worked. But, I mean, you know, that's, they, they had to start fires wrong. So, so what, would do, what you would do is you would keep coals in your home. You would keep coals going from the, your fire that you cooked over and that. You'd keep coals going all the time. Didn't have to have a blazing fire all the time, but you kept the coals going so that when it came time to fix your meal or, or, or warm the house or whatever, you would put more fuel on the fire, more wood on the fire, and, and you would have the flames. But what happened when the fire went out? The fire went out, you'd have to go to your neighbor and say, hey, can I, can, can I have a, a, a coal, hot coal from your fire? Mine's gone out, I need to restart it again. And often they would carry things like that on a box on their head. So when it says uh, uh, heap, heap burning coals on his head, it's referring to that, to, to giving them the fire that they need to start their fire, the coals that they need to start their fire. So in other words, this would be an act of kindness, heaping burning coals on their head. This would be an act of kindness, not retribution. And that's how we do verse 21. That's how we overcome evil with good. By being kind to the person who's being evil to us. By being good to the person that's, that's doing us wrong. That's how we live out God's kind of love. We engage people with love when we engage them with kindness. 
William James was a philosopher and considered the father of American psychology. And he said this, whenever you're in conflict with someone, there's one factor that can make the difference between damaging your relationship or deepening it. So, so when you're in conflict with somebody, there's one thing, one factor that can make the difference between damaging your relationship and deepening it. That factor is attitude. What is our attitude toward that person? What is our attitude toward people around us that we disagree with? What is our attitude toward people around us that we, that we try to get along with, but it seems like their job is just to make us miserable? Our heart's attitude must be one of love. And it's not just what we do or say, but how we do or say it. The motivation, the attitude of our heart, the motivation behind it. Let our actions and attitude be rooted in genuine love from the core of our being. Let love be our deepest motivation. Next, intentionally engage your neighbors by being available when opportunities arise. Being available when opportunities arise. Ephesians 5 says this, so be careful how you live. Now, in other words, be intentional in how you live. Give some thought to how you live. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Then he says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Make the most of every opportunity in these, even in the worst days, even the most evil times, there is always opportunity. There are always opportunities that come our way. Sometimes we get so focused on what we're doing or so focused on where we're heading that we become oblivious to our surroundings and to the people around us. We live such hurried lives that God brings opportunity after opportunity to us, but so often we miss them because we're more focused on what we are doing than what God is doing or wants to do. So we don't look for what he's doing. We don't look for what he wants to do because we're so focused on our agenda and I got to get this done. I'm focused on this. It's, I'm staying focused. It's a good thing to stay focused. But let's also be aware of what's going on around us and be looking for what God is doing around us. Sometimes God wants to interrupt our plans or our routines. Sometimes he says, you know, you think you're at this place so you can do the things that you planned, but the truth is I brought you here because there's someone here that I want you to meet. There's someone here I want you to talk to. There's someone here that I want you to minister to. Or someone here that he, that he wants you to encourage or to, or to heal. Maybe there's someone who's ready to give their life to Christ and, and all they need is somebody to come in and just say, and, 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 and just share Christ with them. Or, or maybe there's somebody that's ready to, they've just had a, 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 a tough time, they're, they're ready to give up on life. Maybe Jesus is going to bring someone across your path today that simply has a need to be noticed and have a kind word spoken to them. I was talking to somebody recently 
who told me that they had moved to a new town and started going to a, 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 a church in that town where they were. And then for, for seven months, for seven months, they said they ate every meal alone. Seven months. They ate every meal alone. And when they finally got an invitation to, to join someone for a meal, they were just so elated. We need to open our eyes and see beyond ourselves and beyond our circle of friends. See people that God brings across our path and on any given day ask God, is this someone you're bringing my way today because you want me to somehow interact with this person, engage them in a significant way, connect with them on another level? Do you, do you want me to invite them to lunch? Do you want me to invite them to coffee? Do you have something that you want me to speak into their life? Where, you know, what, what are you doing, Lord? What are you saying, Lord? Did you bring this person to, to cross paths with me today for a purpose that you have that I'm not seeing? Opportunities come our way way more frequently than we realize. Let's train ourselves to recognize them and slow down our lives a bit so that we can be available when God wants to use us. We need to make room, make room for divine interruptions. Divine interruptions where God steps in and says, I know this is what you had planned, but this is what I had planned. And recognize those and go with them. See, here's the thing. You are God's plan for extending his kingdom on earth. To announce and to demonstrate the presence of his kingdom. You are his plan for doing that. He left that commission. He gave that commission to the church. You are the church. Not just corporately, but individually as a member of the church. You are God's plan. We announce and demonstrate the presence of his kingdom. We do that by being available to share his love. To pray for the sick. To encourage the discouraged. See, we represent Christ to our neighbors. We represent as a church Christ to our city. We represent Christ to our nation. We represent Christ to the world. We are his ambassadors. That's why Paul writes and says in Colossians 4, he says, like live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. There we have it again. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Let's look at that a little closer. Take it apart a little bit. We live wisely so we can make the most of the opportunities that God brings our way. Now, some of those opportunities are going to be an opportunity to do something. Do something kind for someone. Do something, you know, uh, uh, when, you know, I'm thinking when um, came across this, the note on this recently, when our granddaughter Lily was in the hospital uh, up at Riley and we didn't know what was going on at first and, and all of that and she's fine now thank God but when she was up there she was like two years old she was just turning two years old 
of course, we were all spending a lot of time up there. Josh and, and Susie, you know, as the parents, they were spending a lot of time up at Riley Hospital and that uh, left limited time to get stuff done around the house. Well, a neighbor of theirs came over and just mowed the lawn for them. Just came over and mowed their lawn. Otherwise, it would have been like, you know, this tall. Or maybe it was when they mowed it. I don't know. But, uh, y y you know, so there's, there's opportunities that we can show kindness to someone, opportunities that we can show love to someone. Um, so sometimes it's in something that we do. But often it's also involves what we say. If you and I represent Christ on this earth, we do it by, we represent him by what we do and what we say. Whenever you and I speak, we have an opportunity before us in how, in, in, in how we speak into or respond to any given situation. That's why Paul says, Let's our, let our conversation be gracious, be attractive. That means not contentious, not argumentative. So we'll have the right response for everyone. Our words are powerful. They can push people away and they can kill an opportunity. Or they can build bridges and draw people together and make the most of an opportunity. Every time we open our mouth, we have an opportunity to represent Christ well and advance his kingdom. So let's think about the words we speak and use, use those opportunities wisely. Let's be available, take advantage of the opportunities God brings our way. Third way we can intentionally engage our neighbors is by being compassionate without compromise. We want to be compassionate. Jesus was compassionate but we don't want to compromise. Both elements are important. See, compassion matters. When Jesus saw the suffering of the people around him, he was moved with compassion. He was moved by people's suffering. Just read through the Gospels. You want to see what Jesus is like? Read through the Gospels. He didn't just feel bad and say, oh, I'm so sorry. His compassion moved him to action, moved him to do what he could. Mark 1, Jesus met a leper. He was moved with compassion, and he healed him. In Luke 7, Jesus is walking toward the town of Nain, comes across a funeral procession. Who is it? It's a woman that's a widow, and her only son the funeral is for him. So she lost her only son, which means she had not only the grief of, uh, of losing a son, but she also had lost any means she had of supporting herself, uh, of her support, because her husband was gone, so it was her son's responsibility to care for her. He's gone. She had no one to support her. He had compassion on her, stopped the procession, raised up her son, and gave him back. Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw people suffering, but he never compromised truth. And that's something that we need to see because that's where a lot of people get it wrong today. 
People offer compassion, but without truth. People offer compassion, and they, 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 they think that that means that anything goes. People feel sorry for someone who's hurting. They want to have compassion on them, and they think that the way to do that is to compromise truth, but we can't do that. We can't elevate the, a person's struggle or pain or difficulty uh, of their situation over the truth of Scripture. The compassionate thing to do is to lovingly share the truth. That's the only thing that will set people free is the truth. Let's look at, at John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh that's, uh, and made his dwelling among us. That's talking about Jesus, God the Son, the word becoming flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. Now, side note, going back to our first message of the series, once again, there's a distinction that we see here between the Father, God the Father, and God the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Son came from the Father. And uh, uh, there's a distinction there. John says that the Son then is full of grace and truth. So we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is full of grace. He had compassion on people. He extended grace to people. He gives his grace to us. He gives his grace to everyone. He gives his grace, but he's also full of truth. He didn't just tell people what they wanted to hear. He told them truth. He didn't just tell people the politically correct viewpoint. He spoke the truth. More and more in our culture, we're getting away from speaking the truth because we have this, we have this thing that's become a, 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 an overarching value in our culture of never offending anyone, never doing anything that might possibly, never saying anything or doing anything that might just possibly offend somebody. And that's not God. Because that's not truth. Politically correct viewpoint is not always the, the truth. And Jesus spoke the truth. We don't want to be offensive. We don't want to go into this, I'm going to go into this, and I'm going to be so obnoxious and so offensive, uh, offensive to this person, and I'm going to show them how wrong they are and beat them into the ground. That's not what we're talking about. But while we don't want to be offensive, we do have a responsibility to speak the truth in a loving way, the truth of God's word, no matter what our culture says. Look at John 5. John 5, we see the story where Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda and heals a man. You can read the whole story at home, but I just want to get some highlights this morning. One who was there, the pool of Bethesda, was, uh, had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he asked him, do you want to get well? And of course he did, and he, but he gave some excuse of why he couldn't get well because he couldn't be the first one to the water and so forth. And then verse 8, then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. He had compassion on him. He touched him. He healed him. He was, he was, he was no longer an invalid. And then in verse 14, they got separated. But later in verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. 
Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. He said, stop sinning. Oh, but isn't that judgmental? No, it's actually truth, and truth is liberating. And then there's a story in John 8 where the woman caught in adultery. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman in, brought, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and, Jesus said, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, I just want to note here, there's a double standard here. If she was caught in the act of adultery, they caught the guy too. But where is he? Okay, takes two to tango. Where was he? They let him go. They gave him a pass, and they brought the woman in. And uh, so, and then it says, in the, law of, in, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? This is what Moses said. This is what the law say. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without, the, without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. He stooped down again and began to write on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman stand, still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, no one, sir. And Jesus said, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. He said, then neither do I condemn you. That's compassion. That's compassion. She, he saw her standing there in her guilt, standing there in her shame. I mean, she was caught in the act. There's no way out. She may have even been set up for that. But he saw our brokenness. He said, I'm not going to condemn you either. Compassion. He extended mercy, told her to go. But he also told her, leave your life of sin. He didn't say, it's okay, I understand you couldn't help yourself. He didn't excuse her behavior. He didn't say, don't worry about it. He didn't compromise what God's word said. He shared compassion and truth. The most loving and compassionate and liberating message that we can give people is the truth of God's word spoken in a loving way, not in an accusing tone, not in a condescending, condescending tone, but in a loving way. Not in judgment, but in love. See, it's not just believe, it's repent and believe. It's leave your old life behind and believe. There is something so much better that God has to offer. 
a life that he has to offer is so much better. But we need to leave the old life behind and choose him. It may not be what someone wants to hear, but we do a disservice to people when we give them anything less than truth. And we do a disservice to people when we do anything less than give them truth in a loving way. That's how we as believers can intentionally engage our neighbors in a meaningful and significant way, in a meaningful and significant relationship, motivated by the love of God in our hearts, making ourselves available and looking for opportunities when they arise, and acting with compassion but without compromising truth. The worship team come up. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. <clears throat> if you want to leave your old life behind, saying, you know, I'm tired of living life on my own. I'm tired of living life with me calling all the shots. I just can't do it anymore. You want to live your life for Christ. And you believe, believe in your heart that he died, was buried, and rose from the dead. then invite you to pray with me now. Lord, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of my sin. Forgive me. I want to live for you. I don't understand it all, but I know I want to live for you. I believe you rose from the grave. Fill me with your resurrection life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me with what I need to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.